Welcome to season three of the Bible for My Ordinary Life podcast. My name is Alicia Parker and I'll be your host. Are you interested in what the Bible really means or wondering how it's relevant to life today? If so, this podcast is for you. In this season, we are going back to where it all begins, the book of Genesis. No matter what your age or your background or your experience is with the Bible, I believe you can find something fresh and meaningful every time you study it. Hi, my name's Ariana. The Bible is for everyone. <laughs> Thanks, Ariana. All right, friends, let's get started. Hi, everyone. I'm so glad you're here with me today. Today is one of those days where we will read through an Old Testament genealogy, but don't press stop on this podcast too quickly. It's a short one, and we can actually learn quite a bit from this section of scripture. Genesis chapter 5 is a long genealogy, and we'll touch on the first and last part of it, but I'll let you read through most of those father-son names on your own, because I don't think you want to listen to me read that. Now, if you've been following along, you know that in the first half of chapter 4 of Genesis, we talked about Cain's murder of his brother Abel. Cain was so jealous and angry that he allowed the sin that God said was crouching at his door to rule over him, and he murdered his brother. His punishment was to wander east of the land of Eden and to no longer gain produce from the land from which he worked. What we learned at the end was that Cain did indeed leave the area where he'd been living, and he headed out to a land called Nod, which, by the way, means wandering. So today, We'll pick up right there with what happens next in Cain's story. But before we read from Genesis chapter 4, let's remind ourselves of a couple of big picture points that are going on here in Genesis. First of all, the book of Genesis is an origin story. Remember, we've talked about this. It's the narrative that the Hebrew people collected from oral traditions to understand how their nation came into existence. In the first three chapters, the stage is set. The first couple, Adam and Eve, had it all. And yet, somehow, they managed to disobey the one command God had given. Tricked by a serpent, they were faced with several consequences for their disobedient actions. But they were given hope. And the hope was in a promised seed, an heir, an offspring. This seed, the heir, would come and would someday crush the head of the serpent. It's a metaphorical picture of the epic struggle of mankind versus evil, but also eventually a literal seed, an offspring, an heir would come, and that seed of Adam would be Jesus of Nazareth. But until then, the people of Genesis, who eventually became the Hebrews, who eventually became the nation of Israel, they're all looking for the promised seed with each passing generation. Abel was murdered, so clearly he was not the seed. Cain was the murderer, and so clearly he was not the seed. But let's read the rest of chapter 4 and see if we can spot someone who might have the potential to be the seed. This is a small genealogy, so stay with me here. We're starting today in verse 17, and we'll read through verse 23. I'll do my best to pronounce these Hebrew names right, but there's a good chance I won't have them exactly as intended. So, here goes. K 
Cain was intimate with his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was building a city, and he named the city after his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad was the father of Mahuajel. Mahuajel was the father of Methushiel, and Methushiel was the father of Lamech. Lamech took two wives for himself. The name of the first was Ada, the name of the second was Zillah. Ada gave birth to Jabal. He was the first of those who live in tents and keep livestock. The name of his brother was Jubal. He was the first of all who play the harp and the flute. Now Zillah also gave birth to Tubal Cain, who heated metal and shaped all kinds of tools made of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal Cain was Nama. Okay, not too bad, right? In verse 17, we learn that Cain and his wife give birth to a son. And we also learn that Cain built a city and named it after his son. Now, I know we didn't read this verse today, but if you listen to my last episode, you might remember what Cain's consequence was for murdering his brother. Verses 11 and 12 say, So now you are banished from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you try to cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its best for you. You will be a homeless wanderer on the earth. Huh. It doesn't sound like Cain is following through on his consequences, does it? He's not exactly a homeless wanderer if he's building a city, is he? So Cain has a son named Enoch, which I can pronounce. And contrary to what he's been told, he settles and builds a city. So will Enoch be the promised seed? As we read the next few verses, we get the genealogy that I mentioned in the opening. Now, genealogies in the Bible always serve a purpose because heirs are important to the storyline of the Israelites. Enoch is only given the mention of being Cain's son and having a city named after him. Verse 18 tells us that Enoch had a son named Irad, and then Irad had a son named Mahujael. So at this point, we're five generations from Adam, right? Adam... Cain, Enoch, Irad, Mahuajel. Now, Mahuajel has a son named Methushael, and then he had a son named Lamech. So Lamech is now the seventh generation from Adam. Now, one of those things we have to keep in mind about biblical genealogies is that you only trace one branch of the tree. Enoch was most certainly not Cain's only son, and Irad is most likely not Enoch's only son. We will find out in chapter 5 that Adam himself lived 930 years and fathered other sons and daughters than those mentioned in Genesis. And I bring this up because if we only focus on the specific people the Bible mentions, then questions like, who did Cain marry? And how could he build a city if he'd killed his brother Abel and been sent away from his parents? Who was left? And why would Cain be worried about people killing him if, again, he killed his brother, and it was just him and his parents. These questions become a bit of a challenge if we limit them to what we can see in the narrative. The story of Genesis is like a telescope. We can see very far into the distant past, but our field of view is narrow. Some people hypothesize that God actually allowed evolution to occur and that a group of humans evolved and had a population outside the garden by the time that Adam and Eve were specially created by God. Others explain that these events aren't given to us with a specific time parameters, 
So Adam and Eve could have already had many children and grandchildren, and Cain's wife could have been a sister or a niece. And with an unpolluted gene pool, such relationships wouldn't be a genetic concern. And with no social constraints, marrying a sister or a niece would also not have been a barrier. But however it all happened, we can be confident there are a great many people on the earth by the time we're introduced to Lamech, just seven generations from Adam. We learn a little more about Lamech than any of the others before him in Cain's line. First, we learn that he takes two wives. With his wife named Ada, he has a son named Jabel. And this son's line results in an extended family that becomes nomadic herdsmen. His wife Ada also has a second son named Jubal. And his extended family developed musical instruments. Specifically, the Bible notes the ancient instruments, the flute and the lyre. Now, a second wife of Lamech, Zillah, had a son named Tubalcain, and he developed blacksmithing, which resulted in bronze and iron tools. Verse 23 also notes that he had a sister named Nama. So in this genealogy, we learn a lot about Cain's descendants, but no promised seed emerges. The developing of herding animals, the invention of musical instruments, and the creation of tools all stem from this family group, but not an heir who can crush the head of the serpent. Now we do get an interesting little song from Lamech. Let's pick up in verse 23 and learn what we can about the character of this seventh generation grandson of Adam's. Here we go. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me. You wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for hurting me. If Cain is to be avenged seven times as much, then Lamech, 77 times. Now, the first time I read this, I just could not figure out why such a strange poem-like speech was here at the end of this genealogy but I think it's because the writer is making a point that the promised seed is not coming from Cain's line. Lamech is the sixth generation from Cain, and no doubt the story of Cain murdering his brother, getting sent out to wander, and being protected with a mark by God has been widely circulated. Lamech starts his poem by commanding the attention of his audience, his two wives, so to start with, Lamech is engaged in polygamy, something God did not design and does not condone. He calls them by name, Ada, Zilla, listen to me. Then he repeats it again, which may be just part of the song-like poetic speech. You wives of Lamech, hear my words. Were there others in the audience? Perhaps. But Lamech is definitely addressing his wives and bringing attention to himself and his desire to be listened to. Then he proceeds to announce that he has killed a man for wounding him and a young man for hurting him. So he's committed two murders. At this point in human history, there may well not have been any laws or social rules, but the earth is likely populated with thousands or even tens of thousands of people. And Lamech knows that murder's wrong. In the next verse, he references Cain by saying, if Cain is to be avenged seven times as much... And what he's doing here 
is hooking into the part of Cain's story where Cain told God he was worried he'd be killed for his actions. If you remember, God marked Cain and promised if someone killed Cain, God would avenge Cain seven times over. So Lamech knows this story and he's hooking into it and makes a boast about killing two men, one for wounding him and one for hurting him. And he says he will get seven times seven the avengement if someone kills him. What in the world is going on here? Well, I think it's fair to say that Lamech doesn't have much of a relationship with God. He kills two men for causing injury to him. We don't know if he killed them in self-defense or if what he suffered were minor offenses, but he claims he'll be avenged, yet never mentions God. There's no conversation with God mentioned at all here. Lamech is just assuming he has this exponential protection because he is the heir of Cain. This is not the promised seed. It's just a boastful human who has engaged in polygamy and murder. He will not be the one to crush the head of the serpent, even though he has what the world might define as strength and power. Let's look at the last few verses of this chapter. Here's verses 25 and 26. And Adam was intimate with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son. She named him Seth, saying, God has given me another child in place of Abel because Cain killed him. And a son was also born to Seth, whom he named Enosh. At that time, people began to worship the Lord. Another son is born, Seth. And Eve places her hope in Seth, giving God credit for replacing Abel. Eve sees Seth as a potential promised seed. And Seth also has a son, names him Enosh. And then the writer tells us something interesting. Did you catch it? The final verse of the chapter said, And a son was also born to Seth, whom he named Enosh. At that time, people began to worship the Lord. Now, some other versions might translate that. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. What an interesting thing to note at the end of this section. People are calling on the name of the Lord. Some commentators think that this means that there was a movement toward organized public worship in addition to personal relationships with God. I'm not entirely sure what the author means, but that's definitely a contrast to the ending of the story as compared to his brother Cain. Now, what we need to do with this is step back and remember the purpose of the book. This isn't always a specific sequence of events. For example, Seth isn't necessarily born after Cain's sixth grandson, Lamech. The writer gave us all of Cain's lineage and then went back to reference that Seth had also been born. Cain's line was fully explained. And then we're told that there's another brother and that we might see a promised seed from him since we've established it won't come from Cain's heritage. Now, what we see in the next chapter, in chapter 5, is Seth's lineage. I am going to cover chapter 5 today, but I'm not going to read it all, which I promised earlier. If you take a look at it, you'll see it really is a very full genealogy. But chapter 5 begins with these words. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and named them man when they were created. 
When Adam lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness, after his image, and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Notice how the writer reorientated the readers to the purpose of this. This is the book of the generations of Adam. What have we been saying Genesis is? It's the origin story for the Hebrew people. This genealogy traces Seth's line to Noah. If you read verses 6 to 28, you get names of fathers and sons and lengths of their lives. But as promised, I'm not going to read all of that. Remember, in seven generations from Adam, we were given the insight of the impact of sin and the impact of not being a relationship with God, with Lamech. Lamech was arrogant and sinful. But now in this chapter, we have a different line coming from Adam. This is Seth's line. And seven generations in, we're introduced to Enoch. In verse 22, we read that Enoch walked with God. And then in verse 23, we get a little piece of information that Enoch didn't die. He was just taken up to heaven, to God. Verse 28 then introduces another Lamech, who's the father of Noah. And this is a different Lamech than the one in Cain's line. And Noah has three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Now the narrative will continue in chapter 6 with the events of Noah's life, especially those that are important to the Hebrew origin story. Noah is another hopeful promise seed. In fact, let me read verses 28 and 29 of chapter 5. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he had a son. He named him Noah, saying, This one will bring us comfort from our labor and from the painful toil of our hands because of the ground that the Lord has cursed. Lamech named his son Noah because he believed Noah would bring comfort from their labor and painful toil of the cursed ground. So does the name Noah mean comfort? Noah actually means to rest. But the Hebrew word for comfort sounds like Noah. In Hebrew, this comes out as an auditory pun or play on words. Lamech puts his hope in this son. And if you are an ancient Hebrew reading these words or listening to these stories or even living in these generations, you'd be thinking about that promised seed, wondering with each passing generation, is that him? Is this the one? Because for them, he still hadn't come. And the cursed ground was a constant reminder of what they had lost, but what they had been promised. So these stories weave together a historical timeline, all looking toward he who would finally crush the head of the serpent and bring relief from the curse. And if you've read the New Testament, especially the Gospels, you know that when he does finally come, he is rejected by the very people he came to save. It's so ironic and so sad. But the story of Jesus brings a lot of hope for both the Jews and the non-Jews. And again, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. So let's wrap this up here today and look forward to chapter 6. Chapter 6 kicks off the story of Noah. And don't think you know all about Noah just because you remember animals going into an ark. There's a lot more to it than what you may have learned in your elementary Sunday school class. And I can't wait to dive into it with you. But until then... Be thankful we already know the promised seed. 
We don't have to look and wonder. God's promise has been fully fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He has indeed crushed the head of the serpent. More to come next time. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope you enjoy what you heard. Don't forget to leave a review and connect with us on Instagram. The Bible is for everyone.